you, Josh. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus. Exodus chapter 25. Man, the interesting thing is, uh, well, the first interesting thing is um, that all of our pastors uh, are getting silly strung today. And, uh, and I, th- I think I'm going to wait and maybe next week let Jeremy announce to you how, how, how much money your kids raise to go to BGMC um, uh, missions organization, and so I'll let him share that maybe next week. Um, but uh, it's kind of cool though, because we have three different kids' church areas, and um, and now we have four pastors. So one of us had to take one for the team and not get silly strong. So I was like, guys, I'll do it. I mean, I know it's a blessing to be silly strong, but I'm preaching and all. So thanks to the rest of the guys. Um, but uh, this this series that we're getting into called the Tabernacle. Um, I mean, I am so excited to share this with you, partially because I've only been studying for this series for about five years. Um, it, it's, it's one of those uh, things where I, when I first started um, looking into it and I was like, man, there's something here. And I, I, would, I would take an, as I, as, I, as I share this series with you, there's, there's this, this, I feel this need to say thanks to a whole bunch of pastors and, um, and a whole bunch of people that have poured into me over the past five years to help me understand this, this, uh, what the tabernacle really means to us here today. Um, so I'm not going to take any more time to do that, but I, I just, I, I'm so excited to finally be here today to talk to you because whenever you read the Old Testament, whenever you study the Old Testament, You should always read it and study it with the New Testament in mind. The Old Testament continues to point to the Messiah, continues to point to Jesus, continues to help us to understand. And I'm telling you, once as we get through this tabernacle series, things are going to begin to connect the dots in Scripture that you never saw before. Well, let's just jump in. As we think about um, last week, we talked about um, uh, how... Okay, so, so the Israelites. Do you remember Moses? God said to Moses, say, stand up before Pharaoh and say, let my people go that they might worship me. And then there was all those plagues. Do you remember the 10th plague was, was the, what we call now the Passover? And if they put the blood of the lamb that they were cooking up, if they put that on the doorpost of their house, the, 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 the death angel would actually pass over them. And, and that was the one that really, really um, connected and, and so as, as, as the Israelites are now coming out of slavery, 400 years of slavery, they, they were let go to go worship. And they're coming out and they're, they're walking and, and traveling through the wilderness, the, the wilderness desert. And they're traveling through this and they're living in tents and they're picking up the tents and moving. And then they're putting them down, picking up tents and moving. And God says, you know how you're living in a, t- in a tent, Mo? I think he called Moses Mo. I'm just guessing. But Big M, listen to me. Big M, I want, God said, I want a tent also. Build me one of those tents. And Moses is like, uh. And God says, in fact, I want you to build it so it looks something just like this. And so he laid it all out there. And then God, God this was a, this was a, a, a tabernacle is what, what they called it. And, and this tabernacle then would be in the middle, anywhere they camped while they're on that journey. And I keep going like this because if you look at a map, you know, um, I guess you're looking from the other side. But they could have gone from Egypt to the promised land. Whew, Pretty, pretty quickly if they just went. But God was concerned that if they ran into people that would push back and fight against them, that they'd all run tail and run back to Egypt. 
And so God said, I'm taking you on a journey. And there's also other things involved in it, like disobedience. But, and so they're, they're, they're going down, and they go like this. And, and while they're on that journey for 40 years, they're journeying together. It says this in, in, in uh, um, uh, Numbers chapter 9. Let's jump there. In Numbers chapter 9, verse 15. On the day the tabernacle, on the day... The tavern, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping around here. On the day of the tavern, the tent of testimony was set up. The cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it. And at night, it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. And so God said, build me one of those tents. Build me a tabernacle. And if you're in Exodus chapter 25, it's verse 8. Look at it. Exodus 25, verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, a tabernacle, and I will dwell among them. That's the whole key verse of this whole series. Is God wanted to dwell among them. And that's exactly what he did. And it looked like a cloud by day and a fire by night coming out of the tabernacle, the most holy place. I can't wait to see the Blu-ray of that one. I can't wait to see exactly what that looked like when I get to heaven. This wasn't a permanent structure because remember, this tabernacle, think with me, think with me, would eventually turn into what, we, what would become the temple. And the temple is what Solomon built, right? And then, and then Jesus, of course, you get into the New Testament and they're what? They're still going to the temple to worship. And they're still going to the temple to, to bring their sacrifices when we get into the New Testament. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's go to the tabernacle. Check this picture out. Now, this isn't perfect, but I found it. I thought, okay, this will be good for now. Um, for some of you, you might need to get your bifocals out, or maybe not bifocals, but uh, binoculars. But it just, it's, not, it's not so important that you can read everything. Just, just kind of see what's going on here. You, you, you would enter this tabernacle where? Through the gate. So you would enter the gate with, and then, and then you get into the court. This, this, is, this is the outer court right here. So you'd enter the gate, and then you'd get into the court. You would enter his gate with thanksgiving in your heart. You'd enter his courts with praise. Does that kind of sound like Psalm chapter 100? Did you, did you, have you ever even, even connected it that that was talking about this? We even sang it when I was growing up. If you grew up in church, you say, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Psalm 100, that's what this was talking about. Just stay on that. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I do have that up there. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Now, if you can go back to that tabernacle. Someone, someone said it uh, uh, this way. As, as, you, as you entered that gate, the very first thing you'd hit would be the altar. Someone said it this way. They said, uh, um... Freedom is a bloody business. Freedom is a bloody business. And as we look at the brazen altar and as we study this and as we study scripture, you'll see exactly it was. In fact, can you just hit pause on the tabernacle and just think with me just about just in, in even the establishment of this country? Can you think about the Revolutionary War? Can you think about those 13 colonies um, just standing up to the Britons and say, um, pardon me, <laughs> um, 
we have an issue here with uh, taxation without representation. And uh, I'm, I'm not a big historian, but we, we've got some issues. I'm wondering if perhaps we could deal with this and, and if we could, we could all, and, and, and they're just pushing for, and, and did the Britons say, um, well, you know, I see your point. Okay, go ahead. You can be your own country now. No, it came down to somewhere around 6,800 lives lost in battle in the Revolutionary War. 68 men, excuse me, 6,800 men. And they, they say over 17,000 more died of disease in the midst of the Revolutionary War. Why am I sharing these points? It's because freedom isn't free. Freedom is a bloody business. I mean, you think about it. Very rarely does someone who's enslaved, someone who is, is, is bound up, are they, are they, very rarely are they set free by just talking. <laughs> There's usually always a battle. I'm not saying I like it. I'm not saying, just don't run with it too far, but just understand, freedom is a bloody business. So for some of you, when we talk about the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, and you're thinking about the sacrifice of lambs or goats or birds or whatever they might sacrifice, for some of you, you have a really hard time with that. It's like, man, that's not fair. They, oh, you're exactly right. It's not fair. It wasn't fair, but that's exactly what happened, even as we look to the New Testament. It wasn't fair that Jesus took my sin and Jesus went to the cross for me. That's not fair. But he did it anyway because he loves us. He shed his blood. Freedom has always been a bloody business, and somebody had to fight and die for the rights that we take for granted. And if you go in the Old Testament Something had to die for God's people to have freedom and to be right in right relationship with him. And that something was typically a blood sacrifice of an animal. We need to understand the cost of our freedom in the Lord, in Christ. Let me just, let me just talk about this because I, I realize for some of you, maybe you've never even read the Old Testament. Maybe this is all new to you. But you go back to Cain and Abel. You can really even go back to Adam and Eve, but let's just go with Cain and Abel. And what do they do? They, they, at one point, they created a, a sacrifice. Um, they created a, a, an altar before the Lord. You think about Noah. After, after he got off the ark, what did he do? He built a sacrifice to the Lord. You think about um, Abraham. What did he do? He built an altar and a sacrifice to the Lord. You think about um, Jacob. He built an altar. You can, you can see this throughout the Old Testament. The way that they connected, they, they felt sinful. They, they, they wanted to worship the Lord. They wanted to connect with the Lord. How did they do that? Where did this come into, uh, into being? Not exactly sure, but we know this. is What they would do in the Old Testament is they would create a uh, an altar, and, and they'd get the fire going, and they'd have a sacrifice. And it was through that that they were made right with God. Freedom costs us something. Now, you go to the New Testament, because we know this. You cannot worship God without a sacrifice. Worship and connectivity to God starts with a sacrifice. Do you get that? We talked about that back in January. And worship isn't only just singing and clapping and lifting our voices. True worship starts with a sacrificed life. You remember when we talked about Matthew uh, chapter 4, uh, excuse me, like I said, John chapter 4, the, the gospel of John chapter 4, where Jesus is interacting with the woman at the well and says there's a time coming when you're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. Worship starts in spirit, when I give my life to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in and resides inside of me, that's when things, when I 
die to myself and I give my life to Jesus Christ. And that's what Romans 12 says. In fact, take a look at this. Romans 12 says, therefore, I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, not, not as someone, not, 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 not as a, offer your bodies on the altar uh, 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 to be burned up, but as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice was burnt. In, in the New Testament, after Jesus, we're a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Freedom costs something. My freedom in Christ started not when I just made a, a decision in my mind to do good works. My freedom from my sin and my freedom from my, my yuck, my past, my freedom from my sin comes. It, caught, it comes because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, amen? Because of the blood sacrifice that he gave his own life. And as we look at the brazen altar, and as we look at the Old Testament, and we look at the tabernacle, take a, as we get to this altar, that's what we're looking at, a blood sacrifice, they got out in the wilderness and God said, I, I want you to build me a tabernacle, a tent of meeting. And, and follow me here, just follow me. I know this is get, getting kind of deep, but imagine God, God is saying, I want to dwell among you. So there's divinity that, that wants to come together with humanity and, and meet. There's a, there's a meeting of divinity and humanity in the tabernacle. There's a meeting of divinity and humanity coming together and dwelling among us here in the Old Testament what possibly could that be pointing divinity and humanity coming together to dwell among us in the New Testament? What does that look like? How about Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, divinity and humanity coming together and dwelling amongst us? You see, when you read stuff like this in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it helps you understand better who Jesus is and the sacrifice he paid. Why is that important? Because listen to me, if you haven't yet been uh, confronted with this or, or it, when, uh, when, you, when, you, when you enter into a conversation with someone who's uh, of the Muslim faith, let me tell you what they're gonna throw at you. One of the big things um, that they're gonna throw at you is Jesus is not God. They're gonna throw that at you. They'll, they'll tell you there's no place in the Bible where it says Jesus was God. He was just a prophet. And I want to I be very clear with you. Jesus was more than just a prophet. In fact, this right here is a precursor pointing to the fact. We, we studied it in 1 John, but let's just see it right here. This is, a, this is a, 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 um, a precursor just pointing to what Jesus was. He was divinity and he was man coming together to dwell. In, in the New Testament, it was Jesus coming fully God, yet fully man. He was both and coming to dwell among us. He was more than just a good prophet. He was the son of God. He was fully God, yet fully man. If you miss that, if you, if you deny that, if you push away from that, there's no, way, there's no way into Christianity. There's no way. That's how important that doctrine is, that you understand and you believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. He's more than, a, he's more than just a, a, a good uh, TED talker. <laughs> you ever watch TED talks? You're like, I don't even know Ted. But if you've never seen a TED Talk, these are, I mean, amazing. They study, they prepare themselves, give these 10-minute talks, and it's like, whoa, I just feel. He's more than just an inspirational speaker. I, I, uh, Jesus was more than that. Jesus was fully God, yet he was fully man. Christianity then 
It's, it's not just about a good teacher. It's, it's about the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And he shed his blood willingly, just like we're going to see what happens on the altar in the Old Testament here in the tabernacle. As the blood was shed for the remission and the forgiveness that was involved. See, this is it's really, I know, if you're squeamish about blood, right here. I'll never forget, even when I was a little kid, I rode my bike down to the doctor's office. I don't even remember why they were taking blood, but I went down to the doctor's office downtown Middlebury, rode my bike, took some blood, and they could tell little Scotty was a little squeamish, a little squeamish. And uh, they put me in the little dining area in the back for the doctors and nurses. And they, I'll never forget, I, I don't know, what, eight, nine, ten years old. And they handed me a bottle of Coke. And they said, here, we don't think you should ride your bike home just yet. Drink this and then we'll see. And so I, I was like, oh, are you kidding me? I ought to, this, this would be great. Every time I go to the doctor, if I could get a Coke, this would be wonderful. And I'm just slurping down the Coke and bless, I'm blessed myself. Even when I was a little kid, I was squirmish, I was squeamish around blood and around stuff. But I'm just telling you, this is a bloody book. From the very beginning, you go to the Old Testament and you see the bloody sacrifices all the way to the very end, the book of Revelation, all the way to the end. When you think about in the book of Revelation where it says, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain for the foundations of the world. It's a bloody book. You say, Scott, why are you talking so much about this? Because this is how important it is. God says to Moses, build this tabernacle according to the pattern I lay out. And, and he says, here's the outer court. Notice the outer court, this area where, where you, know, you see the words gate, altar, the laver, this whole area. There might have even been tables here to help with the sacrifices. We don't know exactly. No, it doesn't necessarily say clearly in Scripture. But this was the outer court. No tent over it. But then here's the holy place, the most holy place. There was a, a tent over that. So just get a picture of that. In fact, can you, pre- can, I almost said pretend. Can you just go with me in your mind? Just go there for a few minutes here as we... As we think about um, what was happening here as we enter into the tabernacle. Can I point something out here, though? How many gates are there into the tabernacle? How many ways are there to get to God's presence? Are there side gates? Is there a gate up there? No, there's only one gate. There's only one way to get to God. There's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Open the gate. As you look at this again, open the gate. What do you see? You're, you're walking through the gates. What's the first thing you come to? It's the altar, the brazen altar. Oh, listen to me. It wasn't the, the, the lampstand. It, it wasn't the most holy place where, the, uh, where God's presence dwelled. It wasn't that. Let me tell you what it was. It was a stinking, bloody altar. And when I say stinking, I mean not like in an adjective, but it literally stunk. It, a stinking, bloody, smoky, burnt. This isn't like throwing some steaks on the grill. This is like burn this thing to the point of being charred. Open the gates. the first thing you see. And what would happen is, is as a place that sacrifice on that brazen altar, that, that sacrifice of a goat or a, a, a lamb or a bird, whatever it was, they, or often, I'll tell you more about it in a second, but they, like a grain offering, whatever. They, but they'd lay that animal on there, and, and as they cut that throat, it would bleed out. 
and there was a great, I don't know if you can tell right now, but there was a great, and, and I, I might say more about this in a second, but, but it would, and, and the blood would just, would, would drip down, and they would capture that blood, and they would take that blood, and it would be part of the sacrifice, because the power was in the, was in the blood. The power even in the Old Testament is they were, they were looking forward to the power that was in the blood of the cross, but it, it reminds me of that song. Do you know this song? Do you know this chorus? Could you sing this with me? What can wash away my sin? Come on, sing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's all in the blood. In the Old Testament, it was about the blood. The altar, the brazen altar, is about the blood. On the cross, it was about the blood that Jesus Christ shed willingly for us. And so as we look again to the brazen altar itself, notice uh, it's a place where lambs and goats and turtle doves would be, would be sacrificed. Depending on the type of sin and depending on the level of the person who offered was what was sacrificed on that altar. So as soon as I opened the door, as soon as I opened the gate, this is what I came to. I came to this place of dying. I came to this place of shedding of blood. It's, it's the price of freedom. Before I could go any further, get this, before I could go any further into, into the Lord's presence, into, into the tabernacle, I had to come to that bloody place. I had to come to that place where I had to deal with, with the issue of sin. And, and, all. and it's the same thing today. The very first step you take isn't clean yourself all up, go over to the laver and wash yourself off, as we'll talk about next week. No, the very first place is you let the blood of Jesus wash you up. You go to Jesus. You go to the sacrifice he paid for you, the blood sacrifice he shed for you. You go to Jesus. That's the very first place. The altar, you start with a bended knee where you, where you give willingly your life to Jesus Christ. This was made of bronze. Check this out. Where did they get bronze? Come on, just think with me for a second. You're a slave for 400 years. You're a slave for 400 years. How much stuff did you really own? How, how, what, what, what was in your possession? Where'd you come up with bronze? We'll talk about gold. We'll talk about silver later on in the series. Where'd they come up with this? I had the same question. And of course, we know this is where. Do you remember that very last, once again, going back to the very last um, uh, thing that, they, that, that God said, um, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The plague. That's the word I'm looking for. The very last plague before they came out of slavery, what was it? It was killing of the firstborn, and that was going on. And then look at this in, in Scripture, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 33. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we'll all, we'll all die. And look, 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 look what it says. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and clothing. You ever catch that as you're reading this story, as you're reading this piece of history? 
the Lord, the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. Have you ever caught that before? This gives even more of a thought of, why was Pharaoh chasing after them? You know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh all of a sudden like, come on, this, what, what did we just do? I can't believe this. We, we just let all of our workers go. And they plundered us. They took all of our gold, all of our silver, all of our stuff. Come on, fellas, let's go get them. Does that not give just even more desire, perhaps, for Pharaoh and his armies to go after them? And so that's where they got this. So as we go back to look at the brazen altar, notice um, there's horns on the altar. I mean, there's so much you could say about this. But it just even as, as I look at those horns on the, on the four corners, said that, that if, if the... How this would be used is if, if, if the animal, when they, when they put it on there, um, if it tried to get off of the altar, if it tried to get away, they would, they would actually tie it down in some way. And those horns then would be the thing that they'd take the rope from the animal and tie it over here and tie it over here and tie it over here. and tie. So they would, they, would, they would fasten, in a sense, fasten that sacrificial lamb to the altar. Even the way God told them to make the altar, they would fasten that sacrificial lamb to the altar. Do you get it? Just like they fastened Jesus with the nails onto that cross. Now we know this, Jesus wasn't squirming to get off. Oh, I'm sure in his physical body, and like in his man, manliness, in his all, you know, his, his humanity, it hurt. It hurt when they drove those nails into his hands and into his feet. But so as, as, you, as you study and you look at the Old Testament and you look at the tabernacle, and as we look at this brazen altar, we can see how it even points to what happened to Jesus. When you walk in the door into the tabernacle, you're overcome by the smell of burning animals. Have you ever burnt toast? Fills the smell, fills the whole house, right? You're like, what's going on there? Something maybe melted over in the oven and, and you forgot to clean it up or whatever and so you turn on the oven it's like man what's that because it's burning that stuff up you think that's bad I mean literally we'll talk about the, the sacrifices here in a second but on this altar as you walk up there you smell it I want you to feel as you walk up to the, uh, to the gate in fact could you just bring that back up there could you, could you bring the, um, the actual tabernacle back up there? As you walk up to this gate, it's very likely that there was a line of people waiting with their animals, with their sacrifices. They weren't dead yet. But there's a line of people waiting here. And imagine the smell and the stink. One of those offerings that they would offer would literally, the expectation is to burn that animal up completely. The burning of animal flesh. Smell it. Think about it. You hear the screaming of innocent animals dying that you might live and be made right with God. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Till We Have Faces, described the smell of the temple. He described the smell of butchered animals and blood and burned flesh and incense. And he said, this is the smell of holiness. And that's exactly what it was. I want you to understand also that each man brought his own sacrifice for he and his family. You raised something with the plan to kill it. 
it cost you something. I want you to hear the lamb scream and smell his flesh on fire and know that this is what your sin caused. I would bring the Miller family lamb for sacrifice and I would be the one that would, that little lamb that would slit the throat as it's on that sacrifice and as it would bleed out and that blood then would be used as part of the sacrifice. But that, I mean, just imagine, I, 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 I had the horrible task of putting uh, one of our dogs asleep several years ago. I had cancer and I'm telling you, I stood there and I was like, I was bawling my eyes out. I'm not ashamed to tell you. I love that golden retriever, 11, 12 years old. She lived a great life. But I'm looking at the gal at the, Humane Society, I'm saying, you probably see a lot of grown men cry, don't you? <laughs> and she said, all the time. And I think about what that, you know, the connection. And, I, and I, I'm sure, I'm sure that when it came to that one that they knew was going to be the sacrifice, I'm sure dad would, hey, kids, stay away from this one. Because they don't want their kids to get attached to this one because this one's, this one's for worship to God. This one's for our sin offering. This is, this is what we're going to sacrifice to the Lord. It cost you something. I want you to hear that. I, 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 and God said, I want you to build a great. Can you go back to that uh, brazen altar? I want you to build a grate so, for the sacrifice to sit on so his blood can fall down into a pan. And as his blood falls down, it, it appeases the Lord. And we're not going to sing it, but you think about the old hymns. says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. It's through the blood. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice a lamb. They would sacrifice a goat, a bullock, whatever it may be. uh, And that blood would, would fall, and that's what appeased the Lord. In the New Testament, it was the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. You came through the gate. You came through the door with your sacrifice. This is Christianity. The life that is going out from him is going into you. It's Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Lamb. I deserve the lamb. I deserve to be that lamb. But that lamb is a substitute for me. He's my replacement. He took my death. He took his life. And it all happened at the front door, the very first thing of the tabernacle. Before we get any further into the tabernacle, we got to understand the brazen altar and what was going on there. Let me just finish this message. Grab your notes. Fill in these blanks, will you? What kind of sacrifices happened? Let's just, this will be real quick. The burnt offering was the first one. Fill that in, will you? The burnt offerings were, were made for sin, but the entire carcass was destroyed by fire. The man would lay his hands on the head of that animal, symbolically transferring the sins of his family onto that sacrifice. Blood from the male animal, the sheep or goat or bird, sacrifice was sprinkled on the brazen altar by the priests. Oh, can I share with you just real quick? Do you remember when, when Abraham, do you remember in the Old Testament there was Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, there's Abraham and there's, there's Sarah, they were married, and they wanted to have a kid and they couldn't for the longest time. 
And finally, God blessed them. They were like in their 80s, 90s, whatever it was. God blessed them with a kid. It was Isaac. And what does God say in Genesis chapter 22? I'm going to test Abraham. Let me say something clearly. God's not into to sacrifices of people. It was ne- God was never going to allow Abraham to sacrifice his son and go completely through it. But God was going to test him. And this is what it says. Look at this. But, um, in fact, this, this is a burnt offering. Earlier on, it, it actually says it. Um, so, so they're going up the mountain. Uh, Mount Moriah, Isaac, the son, and Abraham. And Isaac prepares an altar. The wood, the ready to sacrifice. And he ties up his son and lays his son on that altar. This is a burnt offering. The, the, what God was asking him to do was a burnt offering to where everything would just be completely burnt up. Can you imagine if you were Isaac? <laughs> Dad, I see the wood. I see the flint to start the fire. I, I think we, we, can have a, we can definitely have an, a sacrifice here. Um, one, one small thing. Um, where's the lamb? <laughs> where's the goat? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, son, come here. Ties him up. Ties him up. Lays him on that sacrifice. Obviously, the fire hadn't started yet. This is what it says in verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him because Abraham had the knife in his hand. He was, I don't understand this, God. This makes, I, I, okay. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. He said, don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, your only Son, your only son. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns, uh, by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered up for a burnt offering. That's what we're talking about, burnt offerings, instead of his son. Go back to verse 12. Do not lay your hand on the ladder. Do anything to it. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, your only son, your only son. Where's that in the New Testament, your only son? It's almost like God the Father was like, Abraham, I want you to know what I'm going to feel like. Because I... I there's going to come a day when I'm going to give my only begotten son for the sins of the world. Abraham, I want you to know what that feels like. Because there's coming a day when I'm going to give my, my son willingly for the sins of the world. I want you to see this, Abraham. You see what's happening in the Old Testament? Whenever you read the Old Testament, always read it with the New Testament in mind. It's a burnt offering. Then next there's, a, there's can, I, can I just say something? I know sometimes people really struggle. Is the Bible real? I mean, 66 books are all of these. Just look at what we're studying with the tabernacle and how many things tie in with the book of Psalms or the prophetic books or even the Gospels or even what was said later on in the book of Revelation. See how it all ties together and flows seamlessly. Is, is this book inspired by God Or is this just a bunch of good little stories that people happen to, oh, look at that, they all kind of fit together. No, this is the inspired word of God. He inspired the men to write each one of these books so they would fit together. Let's go to the second offering. Fill this in real quick. The grain offering. Grain offerings included fine flour and oil or cooked unleavened loaves. A part with frankincense was thrown on the altar's fire while the rest was eaten by the priests. These offerings were considered food offerings to the Lord, symbolized gratuity and generosity. If you woke up and like, man, I'm just so thankful today. My heart is so thankful. I'm just so excited. 
just um, bless the Lord, I just wanna bless him, you'd bring a grain offering. Third, third one is this, the fellowship or the peace offering. The fellowship or the, fill that in your notes. The fellowship or the peace offerings were usually voluntarily and were a kind of thanksgiving to the Lord. The male or the female animal was eaten by the priest and the worshiper, although sometimes the offering would consist of unleavened cakes, which were eaten by the priest except for a sacrifice portion. Let me just real quickly lay this out. First, a peace offering, fellowship offering, could be given as just a free will offering, meaning that the worshiper was just giving the peace offering as a, as a way to say, God, thank you for, for, um, uh, for unsought generosity. I didn't plan that this was gonna happen. Thank you, I just bless you, Lord. The second way would be a peace offering that would come along with a fulfilled vow. Can you go with me and just think with me and, uh, when, when Hannah fulfilled her vow to bring her son Samuel? Do you remember that? Brought Samuel to the temple, and on that occasion she brought what? A fellowship offering, a peace offering, to express the peace in her heart towards God in this sacrifice. The third purpose of the peace offering was to give thanksgiving for God's deliverance in an, in an hour of need. I just, I just fellowship with you. I wanna just fellowship with you. I just wanna say thank you, Lord. The, the fourth offering that we see is a sin offering. Sin offering. The sin offering was made for unintentional sins against God. The common people sacrificed a female animal. The leaders offered a male goat and the high priest sacrificed a bull. Other sacrifices for the poor were mentioned. Some of that meat could be eaten, it, so therefore it wasn't all the way burned up. But this, this kind of goes with what we talked about during communion time. In Matthew 26, 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. I'm offering a sin offering. Let's go to the fifth one. Worship team, would you come? It's the guilt offering. The guilt or the trespass offerings involved the repayment of money and a sacrifice ran for unintentional sins and fraudulent transactions. This is an interesting one, and you can read about Leviticus. We're not going to go there. But as you think about this one, there was two things. You need to make restitution, repayment of money. So like, let's say you knew the transmission was bad on that used car, and you sold it to a friend anyhow and didn't say a word about it. They drove it for one week and the transmission blew. And you're like, oh, I had, and you got convicted by the Holy Spirit. Complete knowledge of that. <laughs> you went from, I had no idea, to complete knowledge that that's what was going on. You're like, I'm sorry. In the Old Testament, if they would have had cars and transmissions, what you would have done is you would have brought a guilt offering. And you would have made it right with the person who you shortchanged. So there's a repayment of money, and then you would sacrifice a ram for unintentional sins in, in that fraudulent transaction. This is what I want you to see. Look at this next slide. When more than one kind of offering was presented, and we see this in Numbers chapter 7, the procedure was usually as follows. There was a sin offering or a guilt offering. And then there was a burnt offering. And then there was fellowship offering and a grain offering, sometimes along with a drink offering, which we didn't really mention. But this sequence furnishes part of the spiritual significance of what we see all throughout the Old Testament, the sacrificial system. First, you had to deal with your sin. Had to be dealt with. Second, the worshiper committed himself completely to God. This burnt offering, this grain offering. Third, 
you had fellowship or communion between the Lord, the priest, and the worshiper, a fellowship offering was established. All of these offerings were done because God wanted you to feel the price of your freedom. You're like, I'm glad we don't have to do all that now. That would have been a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice. But think about what Jesus went through for us. And dare I say, I don't know if I'd say it's easy, but when you compare what we have to do is to put our faith in Jesus Christ and receive freely his grace and that we're made righteous and right with God, not through our sacrifices being brought regularly, all five of these offerings, not through that, but we're made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ that was already shed 2,000 years ago. All we've got to do is put our faith in him and receive freely his grace. How awesome is that? If you're still trying to earn your salvation with Jesus, you can stop now because you're never going to be holy enough. You're never going to be righteous enough. You're never going to be good enough. The only one who was good and righteous was Jesus Christ. He was the spotless lamb. And as we study the tabernacle and you see the brazen altar, you see the sacrifice that had to be paid, the blood sacrifice. It had to happen because freedom costs us something. And Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. He died. He rose again. And he's on the move. But he sacrificed his life lovingly. How can we not worship? How can we just sit there when, when he gave his all and he gave you breath? He gave me breath. To God be the glory for what he's done in our lives. As you look at the tabernacle one last time, we're going to leave the altar today and we're going to go to the labor next week, but you enter through the gate, the very first place you go is the blood sacrifice. And as you're bringing your animal to sacrifice there, you would leave, just think about it. You ever, you, you know, you're around a, 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 a fire of some kind and you, you leave smelling like it. And that's exactly what it would be like. As you, as you le left the tabernacle, you would leave smelling of smoke, smelling of death. But this was what had to happen in order for us to go any further in our worship. Would you stand with me? Let, let me conclude something. And, and if you miss what I'm getting ready to say, you, you miss maybe the most important thing in, in this whole message. Everyone imagine with me. Do you remember how many years they traveled in the desert? It's 40 years. 40 years they're traveling, picking up that tabernacle. God's glory moves. And so they're like, oh, time to move. God's glory stops. His, the smoke, the fire stops. So they're, oh, batting down the hatches. You know, put the tent stakes in and set up camp again. Oh, God's glory's moved. In. Okay, let's move. God led them through the desert. But listen to me, for 40 years, every morning and every night, there'd be sacrifices. Even other times throughout the day, there'd be sacrifices. The people would come, and they'd bring their sacrifices. And you'd think that after 40 years of sacrifice, after sacrifice, after sacrifice, after sacrifice, God would be like, boy, am I pleased. Whew, you guys have really shown your love for me. You know what Scripture says? This didn't please God. It appeased him, but it didn't please him. I know it's a long passage, about 10 verses, but the writer of Hebrews captures this. Look at it. The law is only a shadow. The law, 
the Old Testament law, what we're talking about, the tabernacle, all that stuff. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Can I just stop? Through Jesus, we are made righteous. Through Jesus and the cross and his shed blood, we are made righteous. Those sacrifices that we're reading about, all the way up to the time of Jesus' death, they did these sacrifices at the temple. It wouldn't make you perfect. It would just appease God. Verse 2, if it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Verse 3, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats and, and lambs to take away the sins of the people. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings. You were not pleased. God wasn't pleased with all that. And he said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O God. At first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings. We just talked about those. You didn't desire these really nor were you pleased with them, although the, the, the law required them to be made. And he said, here I am. I've come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we're finishing here. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That's how we're made holy. All that we just talked about in the tabernacle, all those sacrifices, that didn't please God. It appeased God. But when we get down to the gospel, when we get down to the message of Jesus Christ, the shed blood on the cross, that is what pleased God. And once and for all, the precious, spotless lamb, the one who knew no sin, died for my sin, died for your sin. The body of Jesus Christ, once and for all, cleansed me of all my sin, took away all of my sins, were sanctified because the body of Jesus Christ was offered once and for all. And when Jesus died, all the lambs, all the goats, all the bulls ought to be rejoicing in their stalls because they're not going to have to give their life needlessly anymore because the precious, spotless Lamb of God once and for all took care of the sacrifice needed for my sins. I don't know about you, but that gets me a little bit excited. How about you? Tell your kids this. Go ahead, give them praise. Listen to me. This is Christianity. This is Christianity. Tell your kids about the spotless lamb of God. Tell your kids about how in the Old Testament we would have had to bring little lamby with us and then he would have been laid out there on that altar and they would have slit his throat and it would have bled. But once and for all, Jesus Christ went to the cross, died for my sins once and for all. Tell your kids. Make sure your kids get that. Make sure they understand that. Don't let them go any further without them understanding this is Christianity. It's not just about coming to church. It's not just about being a good person. It's about accepting the, the Lamb of God who died for my sins, for my life. Let's do this. Let's live this. Can you sing this, Jesus?